And this sermon uh, will work well for anybody. These are timeless, treasured truths that if you apply them to your life, they're not just, I'm not just here to preach you happy on Sunday, but these words, if you apply them to your Monday, into your Tuesday, into your Wednesday, into your Thursday, uh, they're challenging, they're hard to do, uh, but you'll see a vast improvement in the quality of your life and your relationships because the Word of God and His truth just happens to work that way. The goal of this series, as we've been seeing week after week, is to help you gain what we call relational wisdom or relational skill in living so that you might improve the quality of your interpersonal relationships and honor people in the way that God intended you to honor them. We've dealt with in this series everything from honor to forgiveness to how to apologize, dealing with loneliness. Nikki, Pastor Nikki did a fantastic job last week last week in preaching about how we steward our words and the power of the tongue. I want to continue this morning by talking about a very important subject, and that subject is honesty. Honesty, truth-telling, and some of you get nervous because this is not your strength yet, right? How many of you have ever lied? See, look, some of you lying now. (laughs) You're lying now. I knew this would be appropriate for this crowd. <laughs> but there are some people who don't think that lying is that big of a deal. I mean, we kind of know that it's wrong, like, but, but, you know, as long as it's not real big lies. But every, you know, there's some people who just feel like lying is not that big deal until they are the victim of deception. Until they're made a fool of by a lie or by some spin or misdirection. Isn't it true that even the worst liars don't want to be lied to? But the reality is it can be hard to tell the truth. Oftentimes it seems easier to tell a lie. But what Jesus knows that sometimes sometimes we haven't quite figured out yet is that lies are wholly destructive may not seem that way at first. It may not seem that way when it leaves your lips. In fact, at the point where it leaves your lips, you experience some relief because you lie because you got out of a jam. You lie because you didn't want to go to that thing, and the lie you told just got it. And so you feel a sense of relief, right? But that thing will circle back. It is destructive. It is wicked. It is from the devil. And so I think that as followers of Jesus or those who just simply want to live a great life and have great relationship, if we don't get a handle on honesty and truth-telling, if we don't run in the opposite direction of deceit and spin and misdirection and just telling little white lies or really big whoppers, I think we will see destruction in our lives like we've never seen. And some of you are experiencing it right now. Some of you are divorced today because of lies. Some of you are estranged from your parents or from your children because of lies. Some of you have, lies have cost you loads and loads. And so today I want to give us some helpful wisdom from the scriptures, from the mouth of Jesus, as to how we can deal honestly and uh, do what we say we're going to do. I'm simply calling this message, Tell the Truth. Tell the Truth. And I want you to meet me this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. 
Feel free to use those Bibles today to turn to the scriptures. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, at home that you can understand, feel free to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. Uh, I won't be offended at all if you're interacting with the scriptures on your phone or on your tablet. If you're playing games while I'm preaching, that's fine. Just turn the volume down as to not <laughs> disrupt us this morning. But meet me in Matthew chapter 5. And while you find that, let me pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It's a guide for our lives. It confronts us at times. It indicts us at times, Lord, but it is necessary to help us grow and to be more like your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that your truth would land well on our hearts today. Father, I pray that you would go before us and make the crooked places straight. Father, deal with anything within our hearts that might cause us to bristle at the truth. Help us to receive and respond to what you speak to us today. Father, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through you. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 33. And some, some of you recognize this, uh, this uh, chapter, these verses, as belonging to what uh, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous sort of teachings, one of his famous uh, sort of stretches of scripture found in Matthew 5 through 7 and is this sort of sweeping survey of some of the most essential truths that Jesus has to offer us. It's a rather lengthy sermon uh, when compared to some of Jesus' other teachings uh, that we find in the gospel, but Jesus hops from subject to subject. And the sweeping sermon at points bring great comfort to the believer. Uh, the sweeping sermon at times, it confronts our sinfulness and our selfishness and our leanings toward doing things our own way. Uh, but more than anything, it sets the standard. It sets the standard for Christian living. We pick this uh, sermon up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, reads as follows. Jesus says, You have also heard our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, this isn't a long passage, but it's a powerful one. And I realize that this is the type of text that you can sort of open up to the Bible, to this particular text, read it, and just skim on past it. Tuck it away in the back of your mind and say, oh, that was a nice passage. Maybe I'll, you know, uh, mull that over in my mind. But it's, it's, it's easy to sort of gloss over this, but that's not what I want to do this morning. I want to park the car in this text. I want to throw back the parking brake and camp out here for a second because this is timeless truth, especially in the day that we live in today. And so there are two really significant things that stand out to me in this text. And the first thing is that Jesus seems to always be raising the bar. Isn't that true? 
Those of you who walk with the Lord for a little bit while, you've been engaging with the scriptures, reading his teaching, it seems like Jesus just cannot let sleeping dogs lie. He's always ratcheting things up, raising the bar, requiring more than we wanted to, to give, right? And this is especially bothersome and troublesome to me because my instinct, my human instinct, I want to speak for you, but my human instinct is keep the bar right where it is. Who are we kidding? I want to lower the bar if I'm honest. But Jesus' instinct, because he wants us to grow, because he, want, he expects that we are to be transformed from the inside out, he's always ratcheting the bar up higher, 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 because that's how we grow. That's how we're transformed. He's raising the bar. And especially in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 5, if you read it, I'm assigning it, by the way, for homework. There will be a quiz next week. Uh, If you read it, you know, there's a series of these chunks of text that deals with various subjects that begin with something like, you've heard it said, blah, 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 but I say unto you this, that, and the other, right? Uh, Jesus says that a number of times. In Matthew 5, he's talking about anger. He said, you heard it said, don't murder. And we can all agree that murdering is bad. Okay, that's bad. We can agree. But Jesus says, I said, even if you're angry with somebody, you're in danger of judgment. And Jesus, where you go there? We were on the same page with the murder thing, but do you have to ratchet up? Jesus said, if you're angry, stop what you're doing and go deal with the matter because that's how important it is. It's not just enough to not murder somebody. That's a pretty low bar. He continues by talking about revenge. He said, you've heard it said that an eye for eye, somebody pokes your eye out, you get to poke their eye out. But, but I say, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, give them the other one to slap. Let's see, Jesus, I was rolling with you on the anger thing, but I'm from the south side. We don't do that where I'm from. Right? And what does he do? He, he's raising the bar. Continues by talking about divorce. Here we go. He said, you heard it said, and if you want to divorce your wife, all you got to do is give her a certificate of divorce and you're done with it, right? Jesus says, but if I, I say to you, if you divorce your wife for any reason other than adultery, then you, you, you're causing her to be an adulterer. You go, come on, man. He continues by talking about adultery. He said, hey, I, you've heard it said it, you should not commit adultery, and you shouldn't. You're like, I'm tracking with you there. But even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes... You've, you're guilty of adultery, and some of us go, man, how can we do, how can we do this? And Jesus just has this way of raising the bar and dealing with our complacency and dealing with our tendency to get comfortable and relaxed. He's always raising the bar, and he does the same thing here as it relates to honesty and truth-telling. He says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. But Jesus said, I say to you, don't even make any vows. And he said, preacher, you're going to have to unpack that one. You're going to have to unpack that one. What does Jesus know that sometimes we don't know? Jesus knows that there are two basic things that lay behind excessive, elaborate vows and promises and oaths and swearing on your grandmother's glass eye that you're going to do something. Jesus knows that he's talking to people who live in a cultural context that is very similar to the cultural context we live in today. 
A context where lying and adding a little bit of spin, adding a little bit of misdirection, adding a little bit of embellishment is expected. It's not just possible that you might get lied to. It is likely. Right? Listening to somebody who lives in New, New York and they regularly ride the subway, it's like you're not even like mad if you catch somebody trying to pick your pocket. You're just like, oh, nice try, right? Because it's expected, right? In our culture, in our context, as is evidenced by all the things you have to do now to get a loan, all the things you have to do to prove your credit worthiness and all these sorts of things, we, we just live in a culture where lying is expected. On top of that, many of us have a personal history of being dishonest, of being dishonest, of not telling the truth, of adding a little yeast to the story, or spinning it just so it's convenient for you. We have a personal history with this, right? And so the fruit of that is that when you live in a culture where lies are common and you regularly lie yourself, you expect others to lie to you, right? You expect others also to think that you're lying. And so you enter these conversations feeling like you have to do and say all of this extra stuff in order to prove that in this particular instance, I'm telling the truth. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so this is what Jesus is up against. This is what he's up against. And I think that Jesus is basically saying to us, there has to be a better way than this. There has to be a better way of conveying honesty and integrity than having to swear by heaven and having to swear by earth and having to swear by Jerusalem and having to swear by all these things to, to, to ensure that in this particular instance, I'm not lying to you. There has to be a better way. I think Jesus has discovered it. And the second thing I see in this text is that Jesus seems to want us to keep it simple. Uh, To keep it simple. And this is necessary instruction because humans complicate things. Isn't that true? You can find something in nature that was working just right. Uh, You can find something that God created that was just working just fine and humans come along and fix it. <laughs> and by fix it, I mean they, they complicate it. They convolute it. It's one of our favorite things to do. One of the ways that we make the truth complicated is we got to make everything situational. Rather than taking God's standard, don't lie, don't bear false witness, well, we said, well, what about if this happens? Or what if there's a scenario where somebody might get hurt? Or what if, this, what if it's Thursday? <laughs> I mean, what is the little, where's the little trap door to this principle? No, statutes don't move. And so if you're coming at a statute, like, you have to move. Right? And this is how God's laws are. This is how his principles are. They are staked in the ground. They are timeless, treasured truth. They're guideposts. And if they're flimsy enough to be picked up and moved about according to your preferences, according to the situation of the day, then they're not worthy of being called God's standards. You move, God's standards will stay. It's one of the ways we complicate the things that God set before us. 
Try to figure out a way around it. Maybe there's a trap door. Maybe, God, there's a scenario you hadn't thought about where telling a lie is more, you know, apropos. Doesn't work that way. Listen, I'm not suggesting that there aren't situations and circumstances and variations to life and situational considerations. But by and large, God's standards are his standards. And in this particular case, tell the truth means tell the truth. Be honest means be honest. Honor your word means be honest. And I pose to you this question this morning, what would our world be like if everybody took this to heart? What, what, what might our world look like? What our business dealings look like? What our family relations look like? Our marriage relationships, our dealing with our children, our vocational lives? What, what might be different if when you said yes, I took it to the bank? And when you said no, I took it to the bank, what would change? The short answer is lots of things would change. Some of the hurts and habits that you're nursing right now would just disappear because we would be adhering to a standard that God set before us. Truth-telling is hard to do, but it's not complicated unless you make it complicated. I'll say that again. Truth-telling is hard to do, but it's not complicated unless you make it complicated. And what Jesus seems to be wanting to do is to transport us back to a simpler time where yes meant yes. Transport us back to a simpler time where no meant no. And what I think what Jesus might be saying to us in so many words is whatever happened to yes and no? What was so wrong with that that we needed to tweak it? When did those words stop being enough? When did $100 stop meaning $100? When did 5.30 p.m. Uh, stop meaning 5.30 p.m.? When did I'll pay you back tomorrow start to mean something else? When did for better or worse start meaning something other than for better or worse? When did for until death do us part start meaning something other than forever? Oh, I'm coming down your road today. It's indicting, right? Convicting, right? It's supposed to be. How'd this get so complicated? The fall of mankind, right? It started with us thinking we know better. And it continues with us feeling like we're going to be the slick person that cracks the code, Right? We're going to be the slick person that is allowed to weave in and out of God's standards and still live the good life. When I talk about the good life, I told you before, I'm not talking about houses and I'm not talking about cars. I'm not talking about opulence and wealth and fame. I'm talking about the functional life that only happens when you, when you use your life for what God intended you to use your life for. That's the good, that's the good life. That's what we're after. If I have some money, that's fine. If I get to do something with this name that God gave me, that's, that's wonderful. But you know, at the end of the day, I just want to use my life in the way that God intended me to use it. And I know when I'm doing that because my life works. Doesn't mean my wife doesn't get on my nerves sometimes and I 
get on her nerves and just make it even, right? Doesn't mean that things aren't, you know, and I don't stress that, but when I'm using my life, what God intended, right? There's functionality. There's an ease there that you don't get uh, by any other means. And I think we've complicated truth-telling, and we've made all sorts of excuses, come up all ways to justify, but at the bottom of lying is trying to shield yourself from something that you're trying to avoid. I'm just saying this to protect the kids. I'm just saying this, maybe, but lies protect the liar. Lies insulate the liar from the things that they're trying to avoid, usually the consequences of their own sin, you want to stay those off, right? And I told you last week, and I told you the week before, that when you, that the more spiritually mature you get, the more Christ is formed within you, the more you develop an instinct to do what? The hard things. Because most often the easy thing is not the right thing, Right? And so I want to give you three tips for getting this right. Uh, I know some of you are, you, you just, you've walked a straight, narrow path of honesty. This is something that you've lived by, and so this will just be affirming to you. But other than the three of you who've done that, you know, the rest of us need some godly help and some instruction as to how to stay the path here or to rediscover the path or not rediscover anything, like to, to walk in for the very first time. Three tips. And the first is to establish a baseline of truth in your life. And only you can do that, really. Because really, you are at the center of all of your relationships, right? And in so much as it concerns you, I feel, in accordance with the scriptures, that we are supposed to establish a baseline of truth in our life and in our relationships. Proverbs 11, verse 3, uh, says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are what? Destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity, deceitfulness. Duplicity, double dealing. The scriptures tell us that deceit Duplicity is the undoing of the unfaithful or the unrighteous, right? And so what that means is that if we want to uh, be upright, if we want to, to live well, if we want to honor God, honor people, then we must be free from duplicity, free, free from anything that is deceitful, uh, free from anything that even remotely resembles double dealing, or speaking two different ways about a single thing, right? That's the essence of what lying means, right? And so for some of us, I should say all of us, we have to train ourselves to speak truth at all times. And I say train ourselves because this is not our default setting, right? We come out of the package, sinful and selfish, with a leaning towards selfishness, protecting ourselves, making things easy for us. And along with that, it becomes an instinct toward dishonesty. When's the last time somebody had to sit your child down at two or three and say, oh, this is how you lie, okay? <laughs> Take what's true, and you just twist it a little bit, 
This is how you get out of a jam, okay? I know you colored on the wall. Just to say you didn't. Anybody teach those kids that? But they figured it out, didn't they? Because it resides within them. And Christ being formed within us, being transformed from the inside out, Romans 12, means that we have to learn new habits. We have to be schooled by Christ and figure out some new habit. And so we train ourselves to speak truth at all times, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's going to be gainful for you or it's going to be costly for you, whether, it's, uh, whether you're right or whether you're wrong, whether the stakes are low, whether the stakes are high, we train ourselves to speak truth at all times. And while you're doing that, you're at the same time training the people in your life to expect truth from you. At the same time, you're training the people in your life to expect truth from you. I want the people in my life to expect truth from me. Now, this is kind of, this is kind of, this is going to, some of us are going to have our work cut out for us because some of us have majored in dishonesty. I got a friend who said he would pride himself on how, how well he can lie and how elaborate it could get. It was like a hobby. And some of us, if we would just do an autopsy on marriages that have failed and friendships that are falling apart and even work relationships that have crumbled, if we do an autopsy, right, we would discover Many of those relationships were laden with lies, half-truths, whether it's a dating relationship, friendships, business, marriage, life with your kids, life with your parents, family marriage, whether it's social media relationships. Like some of us, the undoing was a result of lies and deceit because we hadn't trained ourselves. We hadn't developed an instinct of truth-telling, and we hadn't insisted upon being people who speak and walk in truth. For some of us, we have to work really hard with everything that we say to weigh every word and ask, is this true? Is what I'm saying true? Is what I'm typing true? Is this account true? Will this statement that I'm about to make stand up to scrutiny? If I was on a witness stand and I was cross-examined, right, will this statement stand up? You got to ask yourself, if somebody who was there and witnessed what I was talking about, would they tell the story the same way? Am I speaking truth? Am I trying to hide? Am I trying to exaggerate? Am I trying to minimize something that I've done? Is this true? And finally, you have to ask every word, would heaven bear witness to the words that I'm speaking now? Would God go, yep, that's how it happened. Yep, that's true. I, I will sign off on that. Sadly, for many of us, the answer is no. For, for a great many things that we say. And so in this particular realm, I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about just telling the truth. Being honest. Uh, but the, the second tip I want to give you today is that I think you should say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. 
develop an instinct of just, of just honesty. Because I think we can wrongly believe that we have permission to be less truthful if the truth will sting or hurt somebody else. I want you to listen very carefully to this part. I think we have given ourselves permission, society and parenting wisdom, conventional wisdom, just tells us, hey, if it's going to harm somebody, then you can be less than honest. It's, it's the nice thing to do. It's the polite thing to do. Frankly, I believe that a lot of what passes for politeness these days is simply just lying. May I say that? A lot of what passes for politeness these days is just plain old lying. Because as Christ is being formed within you, what rises up in you is a holy conviction to tether yourself to what is true, what is righteous, the things that heaven would love, right? And so when we regularly don't say what we mean and we don't mean what we say, I think it, it has the opposite effect. It trains the people in our life to not believe us. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that my job is to make it easy on the person on the opposite end of me, right? And so when I'm lying all the time, I'm giving you a lot of work to do. Because everything I say, you got to kind of figure out which way the wind is blowing and see if my eye blinked that one time and, and try to, you know, be this, you know, polygraph on the fly. Why? Because I haven't, what, established a baseline of truth-telling. Like, you got to try to figure out every single time whether or not I'm telling the truth, which leads to me swearing by heaven and swearing by grandma's, you know, you know ashes in the urn. It, it's a lot of work for the people I'm in relationship with. It's easy for me because I, I just got out of the gym. But it's, it's hard for them to figure out whether or not I'm telling the truth. And so I think it's helpful when, we, when we're moving toward truth-telling to consider what's at stake. Because some of us haven't considered what's at stake. We just say what's going to make today okay, right? We say is what's going to make this situation, what's going to make this person get away, what's going to make this person get off of my back. But we have to consider what's at stake. And here's one of the things that's at stake. One day you're going to need to be believed. I personally would like to be believed every day, but there will come a time where you're going to really need to be believed because the stakes of the situation are going to be high or because the circumstance looks a certain way that it's really damning, right? You, you look guilty. You look like you were doing something inappropriate. All the evidence is stacked against you, but you're going to need one day for the weight of your, I didn't do that, or your weight, uh, the weight of, I, I, I didn't say that, to matter more than the evidence that's working against you. And many of us, many of us will get accused for things that we never did because the circumstances stack up a certain way and our word can't be trusted because we haven't established a baseline of truth-telling. One day you're going to need to be believed. What's at stake? One day, somebody in your world is going to be sitting on the edge of their bed with their world turned upside down, and what they're desperately going to need is to hear truth. 
Maybe they think their life doesn't matter and it would just be be they'd be better off if they just killed themselves. Maybe they don't know which way is up. Maybe they feel worthless and like God doesn't care about them. And, and they just need one person to speak truth to them. And as they comb the Rolodex of their mind, will you pop in their mind? Listen, my prayer, my earnest prayer before heaven is that when the people in my life need to hear it straight that they think of Gino. Which is why I don't really care about upsetting you in the moment. I don't care if you get upset with this message. I don't care. My job isn't to come and make you happy here. My, my job is to present righteous truth and let you and the Holy Spirit wrestle with it on the way home. That's, a, that's, my, that's my job. I'm training people in my life to expect truth from me. Don't ask me if that dress makes you look fat if you don't want to know. Don't ask me if, did you like the casserole if you don't really want to know. And listen, I, I get plenty of experience with this. Well, people go, well, that was just me. Well, you asked me. I told you I didn't like zucchini last week. Why'd you, why'd you make that for me? <laughs> you might get mad at the point, right? Right at the epicenter of it. And you might feel drawn towards somebody who's going to say, oh, that is delicious. What's in this? But deep down, we know if the dress makes us look fat or not, right? Deep, deep down. Deep down, you might know that that wasn't your best casserole. Like, deep down, you know, right? And though you may get those words that kind of stroke you in the moment, what have you logged away? This person is lying to my face. And when all hell is breaking loose in your life, and you need quick, some accuracy, you need quick, some truth, you need quick, a mirror, to reflect back to you the reality of a situation or the reality of your life, when you comb through the Rolodex of your mind, who are you going to ask? The person who told you you look skinny or the person who just told you the truth? One day, somebody's going to need to quick find somebody to tell them the truth, and you better ask yourself, have you established yourself as a truth-telling person? Now, I don't mean that you get to be a jerk, right? And that you don't, you have to be wise with your words, but, but like, have you established yourself as a truth-telling person? Not just in honesty and not lying, but have you kept it real with people? Consider what's at stake. For those of us who are believers... One day you'll need to share the gospel. Hmm? And here's what you might not have realized. The gospel. I love the gospel. But it's only as credible as the lips that speak it. I don't know if you read the Bible lately, but it's, 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 it's far-fetched. <laughs> That's, it's quite a tale. It's out there. 
it's hard to believe. I don't know if you heard the story of Jesus, like he's God's son, came to earth, a virgin, right? Sinless. Died, got back up, ate some fish, kept went back to heaven. Like, that's, <laughs> that's out there, man. And you start digging into the truths of the gospel that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, God loves you. He forgives you. He pardons you. Listen, you're sleeping with your boyfriend. That's not God's best for you. God has a better way. Like one day you're going to need to share like what you're here to share. One day you're going to need to speak what you are actually born to speak. And whether or not you've established a baseline of truth-telling, whether or not you've been so soiled by politeness that you've been labeled as somebody who doesn't keep it all the way real, it's going to have a profound impact on how you relate the gospel to the world around you. Can we just consider that? Right? And I feel like I'm supposed to just talk to parents for just a few moments here because, you know, parents, we can be some of the worst liars. I mean, really. Well-intentioned. But we can be some of the worst liars, right? And I just feel like the Lord would just challenge every single person who has been given stewardship over a child to commit yourself to truth-telling. A couple different realms, really, like just tell the truth like because you're supposed to. Tell the truth because you have a set of eyes or multiple sets of eyes that, that watch your every move, Right? And we're learning the reality of life. We're learning how we should do life. And so when your children observe you lying, and they observe it. You know, my father was a very righteous man. He was a preacher. But I remember with HD clarity, every time he did something that ran counter to what he preached. My father, when he wanted to get out of a conversation, he would say, hey, man, I got to go in and help my kids with their homework. I'm like, come on, man. We, we would laugh. We're like, you can't do this trigonometry, man. There's no way you're helping us with this homework. <laughs> oh, our homework is done, but we, we just kind of knew, and it was a kind of a running joke, that that was, that was how he sort of got out of things, right? The reverend, the good reverend, right? Yep. Or my father would, you know, say at the beginning of the day, hey, we're going to go down... To, to, the, to the high school and play basketball, and I, I, I would hang on those words, but something would happen. The phone would ring, somebody would need counseling, or dad would be tired, and the day would just go by, right? I wasn't old enough to, like, go, oh, dad, he was interrupted, or he's busy. I just know that he said that, and he didn't do it. I also know that I regularly got in trouble for lying, and I was just wondering, who's going to spank dad? <laughs> right? What's going to be your punishment? And I didn't confront him. I didn't say anything about it, but I, but I admit it, right? One more thing. We, 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 got, we got the Easter Bunny. We got Santa Claus. We got the whole deal, all these, thing, all these things we tell our kids, right? When we bring along the story about Jesus and, like, I think it's so important that I establish a baseline of, of truth-telling. And I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to burst any bubbles in here, but, you know, I, there's some things I don't tell my kids. 
because I'm going to have to tell them about Jesus one day. And I don't want to get mixed up. I don't want, I don't want them going, well, is that, is, which, what is real? Like, both of these are kind of out there. Like, which, a, a baseline of telling the truth were to my hurt. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. Third and final tip, keep your word. Keep your word. And this is a big one because I think there's a difference, a subtle difference between lying and not keeping your word. Okay? A subtle difference. Lying, in my opinion, is like you had a deceitful intent when you spoke the words. You didn't plan to do what you said. Right? But then there's like you spoke some words, you made a commitment, you were committed to it in that moment, but then you ate lunch. Or then the person made you mad. Or then your day got busy. Or a bill came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, what you were committed to in the moment, you, you failed to make good on what you said. And I think that there's a subtle difference. Both of them are from the evil one. But what I'm talking about right now is that, that we have this conviction that we will what? Tether ourselves to the words that we speak. Tether ourselves to my word. To my hurt, I'll keep my word. I'll make good on what I have pledged. I'll fall all over myself to make my word my bond. This is why I've gotten really good at saying maybe. Especially to my kids. I just, Daddy, can we go swimming tonight? Maybe. Oh, man. <laughs> can we go to the church and catch frogs? We'll see. Oh, they hate that. It's like I told them No. But I've been on the end of broken promises too much, and I know how it feels. I know, particularly with them, that I want to establish a baseline of truth-telling. I know with you, when you invite me to something and you want an answer right now, I will say, let me check with my wife. We'll see. Why? Because if I say yes to something, I'm on the hook, baby. I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. And as Christians, we have to do better at keeping my wor our words. We make all sorts of promises. We buy all sorts of stuff on credit. We buy houses we can't afford because we know if it just gets too expensive, we could just, we could just do a short sale. I, I, I could default on this, so I can file for bankruptcy and this, that, and the other. But let me tell you something. We are to not, as Paul says, get, get, you know, roll into the customs of this world, right? You knew you couldn't afford that TV when you bought it. Pay for it. You're upside down on your house. You don't like it anymore. You promised that you pay for it. You said you'd be somewhere at a certain time, like short of like killing somebody, oh, you know, get there. And this just drives me nuts because I'm a, I'm a punctual guy, man. When I say five, I really mean 455. 
But some of us, you, you haven't put your lack of punctuality into the same category as keeping your word. When, when you say five, most people mean about five. When someone says about five, that means it's anywhere from five to about 8.30. That's just the window. It's like the cable guy. I'll be there between, you know. And can I just remind you that that's, that's, that's not keeping your word? Can, can I just remind you that that is chipping away at the baseline of truth that you're supposed to be setting for your relationships? How many people, you know people who, if they say a time, you just know, hey, don't get there at that time. I know churches. Their service times are not their service times. They'll actually wait for more people to get there, which only makes people later. You know, that here, man, when the, when you could set your watch to when we start this service. There have been one person in the audience. We're starting on time. Why? Because that's what we published at start time. We ain't going to wait for you. I love you, but we ain't going to wait for you. Do you keep your word? Is your word your bond? I know this is convicting. I know this is challenging. But some of us can think of every single area of like corner of our life where we can tighten up here, where we can take seriously the things that God says before us. We get back to a time where we have been such standards of truth that when we say yes, that's all it takes. When we say no, that's all it takes. When we say five o'clock, that's all it takes. Like people know that I can trust what they say because they have been so impacted by the standard of truth-telling that Christ sets before us. Listen, we all have work to do here. All have work to do here. And so worship team, you can come up. And just as we close, I just urge you to do business with God this week. And actually, you can begin now. And I just know how this works. When I'm sitting and the, the Lord is reading my mail during the message, it's like he's, the Holy Spirit is like working on you even, even now. There are going to be areas where you need to make confessions this week. There are going to be open accounts that you have, places that you made commitments and you haven't kept your word, like, like that you'll have to go and make it right. There are plans that you're making before you came here to get out of something that you said you'd be at that you will feel now compelled to engage because you spoke it, right? There's some conversations that you're going to need to have with your children, some practices you're going to have to divorce yourself from because, like, this is the standard. And when we come face-to-face with the standard, we change, we move, we don't tweak truth. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and truth. It cuts us, it, it confronts us, but it is all to bring us into a place of maturity, all to bring us to a place where we're living that functional good life that you have for us. And so Holy Spirit, we trust you to do the heavy lifting. We trust you to bring about the transformation and the growth that we need, Father. Would you help us? We realize that this is not our instinct. This is not how we're wired. We need to be rewired by you. Holy Spirit, would you help us? And may the spirit of truth guide our words. The spirit of truth guide our, our instincts. May the spirit of truth tether us to the commitment, commitments we make. May our yes be yes, our no be no. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.